0: You have your Bibles for a little while tonight. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter five. Great to have my brother in, and I didn't know he was going to be in town, uh, but I always feel a little intimidated. You don't think that, but you know when he's sitting out there, that's the doctor, and you just you know you got to don't say anything wrong. So. No, I'm just kidding. My brother's great encouragement to me. One of my greatest uh, sounding boards. I love, appreciate his wisdom. Psalms chapter 5. I'm going to read the entire psalm. If If you need to sit down, if it gets too long, I'll let you sit down. But it's not really, it's only 12 verses. But it says this. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider... My meditation, really that word meditation is stronger than that, it's my thoughts. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto Thee will I pray. My voice shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee and will look up. That right there is enough. (laughs) You've already heard a whole sermon right there, but it gets better. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speaketh leasings the lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man that word leasing there means sinfully or falsely living or talking speaking for but as for me i will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy and in thy fear will i worship toward thy holy temple lead me o lord in thy righteousness Because of mine enemies, make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous, and with favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, it's not in your Bible, perhaps, but there is a postscript in the original version of this text. And it simply says this. To the chief musician upon Nigonoth, upon Shemineth, a psalm of David. Now, that sounds like Greek, but it's really Hebrew. That's probably the only two Hebrew words that I know, and I'm not sure I pronounced them correctly. But they are such a powerful part of understanding this psalm. And I wish I had a good title for it, but the best I could come up with is you can take a licking and keep on (laughs) ticking. And you'll understand that a little bit more in a minute. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I wish it were possible tonight for us to be transported back in time to the situations of which so many of the psalms are written. Because it is the setting of that psalm that gives it such depth of meaning. The psalms are one of the greatest parts of the Bible to read at any given time because they are filled with words of encouragement and words of comfort to be able to transport you back. I would like to do that somehow tonight and help you get a feel of where this psalm came from when it was written. It is one of a trilogy of psalms that most scholars believe David wrote when he was fleeing from Absalom, his son, who had rebelled against him and had turned the nation against their great leader, David, the king of kings. The man even now most highly respected in Jewish history, David, his own son, had turned against him, and had turned a nation against him, and now he was fleeing for his life. Most say that Psalms 3 was a psalm that was written in the morning after a long, hard night. Psalms 4 was a song of the night. It was a song written at the close of a day. But Psalms 5 was another psalm of the morning. And here in this psalm there is the story of a man and how he was able to deal with the situations of his life and still remain the man that he was. The songs of uh, of the book are those that encourage us for the most part. They are songs of struggles and fears and assaults and betrayals and failure and ultimately you read of triumph and sometimes you have to read carefully because you can quickly read over a very important segment of scripture but in this psalm David is fleeing from Jerusalem and Absalom's rebellion and he has made it through another night of peril desperate days lay before him and facing situations that he could not even fathom his own family had risen against him and there's no trouble like family trouble amen his own blood had turned on him and He was facing treachery and foes. Men that had been his faithful companions were going to turn and take sides with Absalom. And they were going to give counsel to them. And it is said of Ahithophel that he gave counsel like the oracle of God. And David could do nothing about it though Ahithophel had been one of the members of his own court. There were troubles that were around him and before him, and there were things rising on the face of this day that he had no way of knowing how he was going to manage getting through this situation and on through the next day and the next day. And if you were to look at his situation from the outside, you would leave, you, you would see. A man fleeing for his life, grabbing everything that he could think he might need, trying to get out of town before he would be put to death. And outwardly, when you look at that situation, you would think that it didn't look very good for him. It did not look well with him. There were so many forces that were mounted against him. And there were so many things that were striking A blow at his life. And they were coming so powerfully against him at this moment. Those that were even following him. Perhaps even they wondered if they had made a mistake following David out. And so David comes through a night of peril. He comes through a night I am certain of sleeplessness and toil perhaps moving and trying to get a little further away from Jerusalem and the danger that was there but when he woke in the morning he awoke with a prayer and he wrote this psalm and as he writes it and all of it is concluded he then sends this psalm to the chief musician for the temple choir and he makes certain subscriptions about this psalm that need to be noted. First of all I mention that the subscription was to the chief musician on Niganoth. That word in the Hebrew literally means smiting and most translators believe that that reference was to what David was going through right then. The circumstances that he was involved in and he was being smitten on every side. He was being attacked and he was being undermined. His integrity had been questioned and People were striking him, and even in the days to come, there would be a man named Shimei who would come and curse him as he made his way to safety. And not only that, but words were being hurled at him from every quarter. And so when he wrote this, he wrote of his circumstance. It was a psalm of smiting he was going through a buffeting in his life. He was going through a time of peril and turmoil and the only way he could describe it was the, the buffeting that he was receiving like a boxer in a ring that from out of nowhere there would come the blows that would knock him from one side to the other and He's trying to keep his head. He's trying to make sense of it all. He's trying to keep his uh, bearings and keep going in the right direction. But all of this is going on around him. And so the only thing David knew to do was what he had always done. And that was go to God in prayer. And that's what he did. But he also made another notation. He said not only is this song upon Niganoth, but it is also upon shimoneth now you'd have to go back way back into the chronicles to read when david began to put together the choirs of the, the of the tabernacle and the singers and all of that beautiful part of worship that was established by david there were certain groups of people that were selected to sing certain songs and niganoth was a typically a group of women or those who could sing high notes in the music scale and they were those who could sing at at a level that perhaps others could not sing at and yet there were those that needed to sing another note there were those that needed to be able to sing the low notes And so he makes mention of this Shimoneth. Now the word literally means eighth, but it had so many variations of meaning that uh, the basic understanding was that these were people who had been chosen because... They were capable of going low in life and dealing with the low notes of life and the issues that were hard to understand. And so here was a group of people that had been designated to sing upon Shimoneth, which was the low note in the chorus. And so David made notation. There's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows in life and you've got to be able to integrate all of that into your daily living and overcome that life is not always going to be a mountaintop experience you're you're not always going to be able to sing the easy songs of life you're not always going to be able to get up in the morning and say oh god is good everything is great there's going to be days in your life when there's going to be things that come that are going to smite you and hit you and put blows upon your life that's going to knock the life out of you. And it's in moments like that that you've also got to be able to sing those low notes. Amen. Amen. High notes are easy to sing, but only those who have come into a true relationship with God can properly sing the low notes of life and so David wanted this psalm to be designated and it's going to be a psalm of highs and lows but in it all the word eighth is or or the number eighth is significant in scripture many believe it referenced the eighth day which was when uh, the the chosen Israelite, those true Israelites were. If they were men, they were circumcised on the eighth day. But in my mind of thinking, the the number eight represented seven plus one, one being me and seven seven being him. So when he talks about the eight, he's talking about. God plus man. And when you've got that kind of combination, it it doesn't matter how low the notes go. God can help you to sing them. It doesn't matter how hard life hits you. You can take a licking and keep on kicking. You can take a smiting and still keep singing. And so... Here in this setting, David tries to set the background so when these singers get up to sing this psalm, they know what they're singing about. They're not just up repeating words on the wall like sometimes we do, but they were singing about an experience that a man had gone through and he had survived And so now he's trying to tell him that in spite of the smiting, in spite of the buffeting, in spite of all of the opposition that has come against me, I still have a song to sing. I still have a praise to offer unto God. I still have something to say about how good my God has been. You ought to clap your hands to the Lord. Because there is that ability to super abound. That's what the number eight represents. It literally means to make fat or to super abound. One who abounds in strength in super abundant number. Seven was the day of completion and eight was over and above this perfection. And it was the start of a new day. Amen. That when you've gone through the buffeting... If you can handle that, God will let a new day dawn in your life. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that what Joel had in mind in 2 and 25 when he said, And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Isn't that what he had in mind in Revelation when God gave John the vision of another world and writing to the church. He said this. In Revelation, to he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that hath received it. You took a licking, and you just... Kept on going through all that David had suffered and all that he had gone through and the embarrassment and humiliation. And folks, there's nothing more humiliating than family problems. I mean, I know what I'm talking about tonight. And some of you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing that hurts more than having things like that go on in life. But David, David taught us how to live through that. He taught us how to overcome it Here is a word on how to handle those kind of difficult days And how to stay on the right path And how to stay in the right mindset And how to face those things that perhaps you don't want to face But you're going to have to face them because of the present situation And in such times like that David learned some things about God and about himself ...that helped him overcome. And I hope I can give you some of that tonight. If you're going to make it through the smiting... ...so you can keep singing. If you're going to make it through the licking... ...so you can keep on ticking... ...you're going to have to get a hold of the message of David in this psalm. And the first thing that I have to tell you about him is that he knew the most important priority of his life was that in times like that, you have got to pray. If you don't pray, you will become prey. The only thing that saved his sanity, the only thing that kept him from losing his mind, was the fact that he knew that he still had access to God. And no matter what his situation was, God could still hear him when he prayed. And so he comes to God in prayer and he pleads with him and he pours his soul out to him. And when you read this in the original text, some of the words that David spoke to God are almost beyond belief because they were so strong and so straightforward. It was as if he was telling God, hey, I need you to listen to me. One word he used means for you to cup your hand behind your ear so you can hear better. And that's what David said to God. God, I need you to really listen to me right. He came to him in prayer. And you're never going to make it through any kind of trouble in life until you learn how to pray. Amen. Well, I knew that would grow, go over like a dirty diaper at a picnic. Yeah. You've got to learn how to pray. He said, give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my thoughts. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. Pray I'm not going to the counselor first I'm not going to the the, the Zodiac or the tea leaves Or the palm reader or Facebook or my co-workers first I'm going to God first I'm going to the only one that really knows where I'm at right now And knows what I'm going through And so we prayed you don't learn how to pray, you'll never make it from the licking to the ticking. If you don't know how to pray, you'll never make it through the smiting so you can keep your song. Amen. Pray. Everybody say pray. Everybody needs a place of prayer, a place that they can take. There needs to. And he, he speaks that. He, you read the verses and they're so passionate. He said, my voice thou shalt hear in the morning, O Lord. I just want you to know tomorrow morning is going to be the same as today. I'm going to start my day off praying. I don't know what's going to happen today. And I don't know what's going to become my life today. But I will tell you that the first thing I'm going to do today is pray. You're going to hear my voice in the morning. Will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. If you're going to make it through all that you're going through, you're going to have to learn where to fix your vision. And it's not on what's going on around you and it's not on people And it's not on problems, and it's not on all of the issues that so absorb our attention so that when we come to church we can't even we we can't even focus to worship because our minds are too bogged down and our our hearts are too heavy and we can't even get in the service because we're so overwhelmed by what we're going through. David said, You better learn how to get your eyes on the right thing, and the right thing is not your problem. And it's not the person next to you or across the church from you. Look up. Because that's the only place your help's going to come from anyway. Amen. Everybody say, Look up. Look up. Look up. Look up. I'm going to pray and I'm going to look up. Amen. My expectation, what I'm expecting out of life and where I'm expecting it from, has got to be in the right place. If I am going to get it through, get myself through these times of smiting, and some of you are going through it right now, you're being hit on every turn, hit by people that ought to be better to you than they are. The truth is there's no explanation for it. Absalom was a loved child. He was the child that David doted over a lot and had given many things to but he was also the son of his sin. And maybe that was part of his own condemnation. Whatever the case, he, he could not stand. He would not watch his kingdom be destroyed. And so he left. But he needed to know what to do in troubled times. And so he remembered, pray, look up. Everybody say that with me. Pray, look up. Pray, look up. Pray. Pray look up, (laughs) pray, look up, amen, I don't mean just up at that ceiling, I mean up beyond that to another world, amen, somebody said amen. amen, for thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, he goes into something about what's going on and he makes some statements about God and about Things about God that are not ever going to change. God's opinion about sin has not changed and it never will change. And God's feelings about people who do wicked things has not changed and it will not change. But he went on to say that the Lord is going to be the one that will handle that. And then down in verse number 8 he makes another statement that You need to get in your mind. Not only did he pray and look up, but in verse number 8, he said, Lord, lead me. Everybody say, lead me. If you need anything, you need somebody to lead you and navigate that situation that you're going through right now. And we don't need a misstep right now. We don't need to hatch out our own plans at times like this. We need to come before God and humble ourselves and say, God, I don't know how to come in or go out. I need you to lead me because I don't want to make this mistake worse than it already is. You know what I've learned about life? Is that many people let one mistake lead to another mistake. And then that mistake leads to another mistake. Somewhere you've got to stop the madness and say, You know what? The only way I'm going to get through all of this mess I'm going through right now is I need some hand to lead me because I can't see where I need to go. And I don't know what's out there. I need you to lead me, God. Lead me. Direct me. Lead me. Direct my emotion. Direct my thoughts. Don't let them be sabotaged. Don't let them be hijacked by what all's going on around me. Lord I need you to lead me We need that kind of leadership When we're going through these buffeting times Let that be your attitude Lord I I don't even know how To come in or go out I'm not wise enough It is not in man to direct his path Amen. Somebody, somebody in this building needs to get a hold of that because some of you have a stubborn spirit and you have a hard head. Now, I'm not being rude. I'm just being plain. You have a hard head. You're going to do it your way, bust Hades wide open. And that's what gets us in trouble is doing it our way. Well, God's not working fast enough. I need an answer right now. That's what God some men in trouble in olden times and it still gets men in trouble just because God didn't move right now doesn't mean he's not moving amen he's moving would you hear, hear Sunday morning he sees beyond the limitations that life put on us and so what we've got to understand is That if we're not careful, we will let our own humanity get in the way. And we start trying to drive this thing. And when we do, we always wind up in dead ends and blind alleys. He said, Lord, I don't know how to navigate this. I've never been here before. I don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. I need you to lead me lead me talk to me God leads with his eye sometimes all God needs to do is just look at us and that ought to be enough to correct us has your parent ever given you the eye before wasn't that enough I mean you know what I'm talking about they had a way of looking at you, and that one look, I was sitting with some friends the other day, and I asked a man a question, and another man looked at me. When he looked at me, that's all I had to have was that look. I knew I did not need to go any further down that <laughs> that line of thought. I've seen people in church, it just dumbfounds me that it doesn't matter what they're what what's looking at, they just keep wading right on into it. He leads with his eyes. He leads with his word. That word right there that you open tonight is the most valuable resource that you'll ever have no matter what kind of time you live in. But especially when you live in smiting time, when life is just throwing everything it can at you, trying to destroy you, you better have a word. And that word will lead you. Amen. Not only does he lead by his word, he leads by his spirit. He'll move you to do the right thing at the right time. Amen. How many of you have been moved to do something and when it was all done, you couldn't put a you, you couldn't explain it, you just I just knew it was time to do this. Why? Because you'd prayed. And you had not only prayed, but you'd looked up And not only that, but you had asked the Lord to lead you. And when you do those three things, you don't have to fear. God's going to hear you, and He's going to listen, and He's going to answer. He's going to help you. He's going to come. He's not going to leave you just to keep wandering around, bumping into things in the night. Lead me, Lord. Just help me get through this. Lead me. And then... Verse number 10, he says something that just astounds me. He makes a statement that at first seems like revenge, but you you read it again and you understand he's not talking about himself. He's talking about God. This is God's perspective. This is what God views of what evil men are doing. And in verse 10, he said, Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. If you are going to get it tonight, you better get this one. Not only do I need to pray and look up and ask him to lead me, but I need most of all to let him legislate what's going on in my life. I don't need to try to play God at times like this and get my own ounce of flesh. And you hear me tonight. There's not a human being in this room that doesn't want their ounce of flesh every once in a while. You just like to see them suffer a little bit. Maybe not a lot, but just a little bit. Come on, don't look that holy. I know you better than that. We, we want to take it in our own hands And we want to try to make something we, we, want to, we, we want to exact that Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth They're hurting me so I'm going to hurt them You know what I've learned many times about hurting people? They hurt people But David said Lord I need you right now more than anything to help legislate what's going on. Because if I let myself go, there's no telling what I might do. I would destroy the very kingdom you have helped me build up. And so, Lord, I need you to legislate. Don't ever underestimate that one principle. When we allow this to be the rule of our life, then God will make sure that the deceiver is deceived. Absalom had deceived the whole nation and turned the hearts of the people, according to the Bible, against David. But in the end, he himself was deceived and led into wrong actions. And he was destroyed by the very thing that he tried to destroy somebody else by. Did not Haman build the gallows? Who did he build them for? He didn't build them for Haman. But guess who hung on them? Haman hung on them. Mordecai didn't hang on them. That's who he made them for. You let God legislate the issues that are going on in your life, and God will take the very people that are trying to destroy you, and He will take their own manipulation and turn that against them to destroy them. Because God hates wickedness. He hates wickedness of any kind wicked mind, wicked thoughts, wicked actions. And it may look like for a moment that they are prevailing. But you hear me tonight. When the end comes, God's going to turn the tide. He's going to turn the tail. He's going to turn it around. He's going to put them on the gallows. And He's going to put you on the throne. If you let Him legislate. Let Him lead. Let Him direct. And he'll take the very thing, the very weapon that the enemy is using against you, and he'll use it to destroy himself. That's what the Bible said. Read it. That's not me saying that. Listen to what he said. He said, Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. There are other illustrations that I don't have time to go into any more of them, but... Let God legislate. Let God handle that. And the only way David made it through the smiting and kept his song is that he kept his hands off of God's business. And he let God be God. And I'm just a worshiper. Amen. I don't know enough to get revenge. I don't understand enough to do what needs to be done. But if I'll let God take care of it, He will take care of it. Amen. It may look like for a moment that truth is broken down in the street and error sits on the throne. But I'm telling you, that's not the end of the story. God's Word If that part of God's Word is not true, none of God's Word is true, and we might as well burn this Bible and go have a party. But my Bible tells me of an hour when the earth and everything in it is going to melt with a fervent heat, and the only thing that's going to stand is the Word, and there's going to be made a new heaven and a new earth. Wherein is righteousness and glory and there will be no lying and no cheating and no murdering and no evil there. And if you will allow God to help you through the smiting, he'll give you the song of the redeemed that has yet to be sang. There are eight songs that are not written in the book of Psalms that you'll find in the Bible. And there's only one of them that has yet to be sung. And that is the song of the redeemed around the throne of God in that everlasting day of glory. And that's the song that I made up my mind. I don't care how hard life hits me. I don't care what comes against me. I'm not going to let that take away that ability to someday stand in that moment and lift my voice with God's redeemed and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to sing that last song because it's going to be the ultimate song of victory. Good, Lord, have mercy. Woo! Every demon, every devil, all of the wickedness of the world will be done away with. And all that will be left will be joy and peace and everlasting life. And you will have a body that won't get tired and won't get old and won't ache. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. And you can just think it and you're there. That's what heaven's going to be like. How else do you think we're going to get around a place called heaven of the dimensions that Scripture mentions if those dimensions are literal or if they're even a figure of what God's got prepared for us? He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms, if it were not so. What, what, is, what is it, Four square? It's a cube. It's as high as it is wide, and it's as wide as it is deep. Goodness gracious. I'm not going to let life steal that from me. I'm not going to let life take that song away from me because it doesn't matter how many songs I sing down here. If I don't sing that final song, none of these songs here matter. And the only way I'm going to be able to sing that song is if I pray and I look up and I let Him lead me and I let Him legislate. And last of all, if I keep on trusting Him, if I keep my confidence in the right thing, God will not fail me. I once was young, but now I'm old, but I've never Never, never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed beg bread. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall by any way harm them. In the Hebrew it says, great peace, peace, Or peace, peace, have they which love thy law. It's a double portion. It's not just a blessing. It's a double blessing that God's going to pour out upon those who will simply let him be who he wants to be, their God. Amen. And trust him. He will defend you. You don't have to defend yourself. He will defend you. Now, folks, I'm just telling you, if that verse is not true, we might as well close this whole book because none of it's true. But I read tonight what the psalmist David said. He said, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. And then he makes reference to a shield. Now, there were several type shields in biblical time. There was one that could easily be carried by a warrior that would fit on one arm, and it was just a small oval-shaped thing that, that would help him while he was battling, not the blows away, but that's not the shield he was talking about. The shield he was talking about was one that was carried by a shield-bearer. It was so big that he couldn't do anything else but carry the shield and it would literally cover the entire body of the soldier so he could step out from behind it and do warfare and then step back behind his protection. And David said, you know what I found out? God's that kind of God to me. He's not some little bitty thing that I have to be careful how I use him. But God is so awesome. He's so powerful. And he's so mighty. He can cover the entirety of my life. Not one part of it. Not my feet. Not my head. But my whole life is covered by him. He's my shield. He's my buckler. He's my protector. He's going to defend me. He's going to keep me. That's what will help you get through troubled times, to know that God is going to be the one that's going to stand with you in the end. Men may forsake you and people may leave you and your family may desert you, but God said, I will defend you and I will be your shield. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous with favor. Amen. Wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Amen. What what a psalm. Take a licking and keep on ticking. Amen. Life smites you, but you still can sing. It hits you, but you... Still know how to worship because you pray and you look up and you let Him lead you and you keep your hand off God's stuff, God's things, and you trust Him. It'll keep you from losing your song when life gets bitter, when life gets so filled with hurt that you just want to scream. Just want to pull your hair or pull somebody's hair. Amen. Don't do that tonight. Amen. But life pushes us to places like that. Where it's just like boom, 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 boom. David made it through it all. And he said, I want to record this for history because in 2016 there's going to be a body of people that are going to gather on a Wednesday night and I want to tell them how to make it through tough times. I want to tell them how to keep their song in spite of all the hurt and the afflictions and the pain that life brings, that they can keep their eyes focused on the right thing and they can dwell in the right atmosphere. They can keep their mind on the right things. Amen. So I want you to write it so those who can sing, the high notes can sing. But what I really want is for those who are going through some low times to know that you can keep singing then too. Amen. Praise. Let's stand together.